Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. The Oregonian Charles Jennings is the former CEO of an AI company. In 2019, he published a book called Artificial Intelligence, Rise of the Lightspeed Learners. He then spent three years focused on federal AI policy. Now he has published an urgent message in Politico. He says that because of its infinite risk, AI's underlying technology has to be nationalized the way atomic energy was after World War II. He's calling for the immediate creation of the Humane AI Commission. He joins us now to talk about this. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. We asked on Facebook how AI is impacting people. Randy Lauer said it hasn't. Next question. (laughs) Matthew Hall wrote, it's made it more necessary for me to filter out articles and podcasts focused on it. So so there's there's a good chance that Matthew Hall is not listening right now. But if you had a minute to convince him and others who say that this is overblown, there's too much talk about it, it's not important or real or or a big deal, what would you tell them? Yes, there's a lot of hype, but that does not mean this is unimportant technology. It's uh, It gets classified in the GPT bucket a lot. The chat GPT. Yeah, chat GPT, the uh, large language model, the use of AI to write a term paper. Mm-hmm. Or, or to make fun pictures. Or make fun pictures or just to uh, do research on the web. But AI is much more extensive than that. It's in agriculture. It's in medicine. It's in transportation. They fly airplanes, uh, movies, music, many, many walks of life. And it's accelerating. It's getting smarter. And it's clearly the biggest disruption a technology disruption sense electricity in terms of its breadth. Bigger than the internet. Bigger than the internet because it is also disrupting the internet. Deep fakes, uh, misinformation, but it really it goes into all these nooks and crannies at a level that most people are not fully aware of. Ryan Hooper on Facebook added this, I think the prognosticator should point out that AI is like an oncoming hurricane. You see it on the horizon, but until it hits, you have no idea how devastating it will be. What for you are the different categories of risks that you're thinking about? Accidents, bias, uh, greater wealth inequality, uh, um, the whole disinformation, misinformation phenomenon, deep fakes. Uh, and, but ultimately, the greatest risk is what we call runaway AI, which is grows out of the fact that nobody really understands completely how this stuff works. I want to turn to um, some efforts at at least the, the federal government thinking about regulation. Last year, the White House released what it called a blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights, a very non-binding, very preliminary, big picture take on the regulation of this technology. What did you think of it? 100,000 foot level, fine. Totally irrelevant, however. I mean, in terms of having any real impact. I don't, it's not rights that we need to be concerned about. It's the technology itself. It's the proliferation and the the, the need for safeguards, uh, the need for understanding how it's going to impact society. Uh, I think, you know, the, the 
con concern about AI transparency uh, is legitimate, but sort of overblown. I mean, I was head of an AI company. I had access to every element of an AI, from the algorithm to the data to the test results. There were parts of it that the engineer who built it couldn't tell me how it worked. And so we need to get our arms around a new type of governance that we don't have yet. And so just this question of, of transparency or legibility is a key one. And it's one that that, that Blueprint uh, has talked about, but, uh, but lawmakers as well. The idea is that humans should be able to understand what's under the hood. We built this thing and like a car or, or nuclear energy or all kinds of things, we should know how it works, how in this case, how it came up with an answer. You have said that, that that's a pipe dream. And you're not alone in saying that, that there's something ultimately not magic, but unknowable on the human level. And when, when you give something a million pictures to look at and it figures out different ways to see something, we probably, we may never know actually how it came up with some answer. What are the repercussions of that? Well, first of all, uh, I think that was a good way of putting it. Um, there is nothing magical necessarily about AI, but they deal with such massive amounts of data uh, that our puny little human brains really can't uh, see. They can't draw the inferences that an AI can from a huge Himalayan mountain, and we're working in a molehill. So given that, we now need to start my belief that the first thing we need to do is to have some new AI labs that that's begin to test and develop AI in a publicly available way. Uh, that's what we did in nuclear times with Livermore, Los Alamos. These were labs that were controlled by the government, so there was transparency to different elements of government, and we need to do that in partnership with the big AI companies. Well, so you've gotten to, you know, starting to talk about your big pitch here. So let's let's turn to this. So, and it's it's based loosely or maybe not loosely on the post-war, post-Hiroshima Nagasaki era, um, where in 1947, there was the Atomic Energy Commission. What's the connection for you between this commission and what you're calling for now? The initial notion was after spending three years in working on AI policy in Washington, D.C. I mean, remotely, this was COVID times, but I was working with a think tank called the Atlantic Council. Um, I began to despair that we were going to ever get an AI policy. We just seemed to be falling further and further behind. And so I felt that we needed to uh, come up with a, a entirely fresh, new, bold approach. And when I look back in history, I saw Truman in 1947 snapping his fingers, taking nuclear reactors away from the military, which was not a popular move right after World War II and the victory there, and putting, it, putting the nuclear reactors in the hands, in, under the control of five civilians, almost overnight. And if you've seen the film Opp Oppenheimer, you know the AEC had some problems, but it also played a crucial role for several decades in the first period of nuclear weapons and helping avoid global nuclear war. So I don't think we're going to get there with congressional reg regulation. 
it's just too slow. AI is evolving too fast, filling into too many dimensions of society. And Congress, uh, if there's one thing I think everyone would agree about it, is not a agile, quick institution. It's the opposite. So we need we need something new. And so I proposed this nationalization idea as a prompt to my fellow citizens say, we've got to do something. We, it's either this or let a few handful of tech bros continue to run this stuff. They're carrying the nuclear codes of AI right now. And a couple of the most powerful of these guys want to have a cage fight. You literally. Know, literally. Yeah. I mean, come on. We need a better way of governing this stuff. What would it take legally to wrest control of the world's most advanced AI models from this handful of companies, tech giants, that have spent billions of dollars of their own money and, and also a, a lot of, of federal funding um, to to create these models. I, I mean, legally, what would it take? Because it's just it's worth saying that this is different from from the atomic model, where it was a federal government at the Manhattan Project that was behind this to begin with. So there, it wasn't like you had to wrest control of this underlying technology from private corporations. It, w- it was a federal government at Los Alamos and other places that invented this to begin with. That's different to a great extent. That's different with AI. How do you envision that happening? Well, first of all, there has been a much greater investment by American citizens and American taxpayers than most people realize. There would be no AI without the U.S. government. For the last six decades, that we went through two AI winters when the only AI research in the world was at U.S. government labs like uh, Jet Propulsion and Bell Labs. But, so, but, but you don't disagree with the no, notion no, that, that Google and Microsoft need, are also spending their own money to make their own products. Billions, yeah. $25 billion a year. And, but you're saying not alone. There, there they, has been federal money as well. They're building on top of a foundation that we citizens built for them. And a... And B, they're working in an economy that we have helped keep free for them. They have not been very regulated in tech. And the the move fast and break things culture of tech has worked pretty well for them in building value and creating the Internet and social media and so forth. My thesis is it's not going to work in AI. We need a new model. And the U.S. government has skin in the game and needs to be involved. The In your article in Politico, where you lay this out, you mention the wartime nationalization of the Kaiser shipyards, you know, which is not very far from where we are right now. That's right. Uh, I mean, up and down the West Coast, but including Vanport and also General Motors and, and others. That happened, obviously, at a time when the Nazis were on the march. We're, we're trying to take over the world. The Atomic Energy Commission happened after... The world had seen mushroom clouds, had seen what was at stake. How do you build the the kind of public support that I think would be necessary to to give a president the um, the sense that that they could actually do this? Um, how do you do that when there is not that kind of hyper visible? imminent danger. But instead, what we're talking about is smart people telling us that a potentially world-changing danger is right around the corner. Well, there's the risk and there's the AI dividend, two sides of one coin. And even Sam Altman, the brilliant CEO of OpenAI, is saying we need a new model 
for governance. And I happen to believe, as someone in the tech field who's had more experience with Congress than most of these, these uh, tech AI leaders, that we need a positive program in the federal government. That it wouldn't start out by taking control and nationalizing the AI. It would start out with the labs, collaboration, and ownership of IP going forward. That is sort of underneath the hood of the Humane AI Commission, how it would operate. And one well, point, let me, I want okay. to make sure I understand what yeah. you've just described. Because I, I, that, that, I mean, you didn't, f I mean, the Politico op-ed was, there was a limit to it. So you yeah. didn't get into <laughs> yeah. to all of the, the details of how you envisioned this working. And in my mind, it actually was a kind of overnight with the stroke of a president's pen saying that this is an emergency. I mean, yeah. World War II was an emergency, right? That's why they were able to nationalize industrial production. And I thought that that's, in a sense, what you were saying we need to do right now. Tomorrow, we need to take this over. It, that's not what you're arguing? Parts of it. Yeah. I, literally, in the article, I say parts of AI. Um, they only give you so many words in a magazine. <laughs> well, you, got, you have a little bit more time right now. <laughs> okay. So, so, so what are the parts? Okay. So the first part is the research. That's where the first money goes. These these new labs, where they are setting up the the most advanced AI model, large scale AI model research in the world, and they're doing it by having the power to take over some of the IP of Microsoft, of OpenAI, and so forth. Hopefully doing it with as much collaboration as possible. Now, let me insert an idea here, going back to the Atomic Energy Commission. One of the most successful players in the under the era of, of the AEC, Atomic Energy Commission, was Westinghouse. They didn't own the nuclear reactors. They licensed them from the Atomic Energy Commission. They had a very successful business. That model can work. And one of the reasons it's in the interest of the tech companies is that it removes a lot of the liability that they currently carry. And there are positive reasons why tech should be interested. And you would be surprised how much support I've heard on this. Now, there are definitely a lot of people who think this is the nuttiest idea they've heard all year. But there have been quite a few people <clears throat> who believe that this is really important technology, potentially dangerous, uh, with a huge upside. And we're starting to look at different ways that we could move forward with democracy at the table, with the United States government at the table. I'm glad you mentioned the United States government. I mean, how do you think about the rest of the world? I mean, China especially, Russia maybe as well, but, but China especially in the context of your proposal. We have to stay ahead of China, in my view. Uh, China is very committed to AI. Uh, President Xi has said whoever controls AI will rule the world. Um, do I have time for a short China AI story? Uh, yeah, go, okay. go ahead. <laughs> okay. So in Hangzhou, a city of 15 million people, an AI called City Brain is controlling today uh, all the traffic and emergency response. And it, it has been for the last four or five years. It's greatly reduced traffic. It's reduced pollution. There, as a result, there's less carbon in the atmosphere. And it saved lives because uh, City Brain literally controls all the traffic lights and it will turn them off and on dynamically. And it'll shut down a corridor if a fire truck or ambulance needs to go through. So it's great. It's good for everybody. But City Brain also is used for face recognition, identifying Uyghurs on the streets of Hangzhou and political dissidents who often, as a result, are sent to concentration camps. Single AI, City Brain, 
doing both, either a benefit to the city or an instrument of tyranny. And China has a tendency to use AI in the latter mode way more than we do in the United States. The United States is still the world leader in AI, as I said in the article, by a light year or two. But that could change. And if we were to do the AI pause that a number of my colleagues have recommended, which even if that's possible, which I don't think it is. Uh, Meaning everybody unilaterally lays down their, their AI arms yeah. until won't we work. figure this out. Stupid. Yeah. You think nationalization is not a good idea. That one just won't work. And the, if it did work, the result would be China would race beyond us. And I don't think we want a world where uh, the Chinese Communist Party is controlling the the most powerful technology on earth. Isn't there a counter argument though that that if that by letting Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk and OpenAI and everybody else go as fast as they can, we have a better shot of staying ahead of China. I mean in a sense that that is the American enterprise model that's gotten us where we are right now, right? And and you're talking about on some level slowing us down to be a little bit safer. Are, are you at all concerned that, that that means that that we would lose our our international edge? Um, it's a concern. And I'm very convinced that we need to stay ahead of China. I'm not concerned about Russia or anyone else. Uh, Toronto is a, a very progressive place. They have good AI. But outside of that, it's it's really the West Coast of the United States. And I think that we've got to make sure we, we stay ahead internationally, but we need to slow down enough, take enough care to be able to make sure that AI itself doesn't get out of control. Essentially, we have three buckets of risk, three potential problems. One is bad actors taking over AI and using it against us. One is uh, that AI itself will go off the rails. And the third is that I think China would become the, the global dominant force. I think all of those are concerns. And we a, a national AI commission, a humane AI commission, would deal with those threats, but also the flip side, which Senator Cantwell from Washington is working on uh, actively, is to create an AI economy, job training for AI. There's going to be a lot of job social disruption. We need to make sure we get that going as well. Charles Jennings, thanks very much. Thank you. Charles Jennings is the author of Artificial Intelligence, Rise of Lightspeed Learners. He is a former AI executive who is now calling for the nationalization of big chunks of AI technology. Think Out Loud and OPB's critical reporting from all across the Northwest happen only with the support of our members. Do your part now and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.